Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Dr. Jaquana Scott Kankam will discuss addressing the biggest challenges in youth protection risk management. Dr. Kankam is the Director and Senior Consultant at School of Solutions. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Joaquina. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I could be here with you today. So to start it off, what do risk management professionals misunderstand the most about youth protection? I think risk management professionals misunderstand the fact that there's so much more that should be considered that goes beyond what the law states. There's only one federal law enacted currently to protect children from child abuse and neglect, which is called the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act. This law basically requires youth organizations to do two things. One, conduct a criminal background check of individuals responsible for working with minors. And two, to require those individuals to participate and take part in a mandatory reporter training. No other aspects of youth protection is considered in that law. So when you look at the law for what it is, all it does is assist adults without a criminal record, report suspected abuse and neglect. That's it. Nothing more. So when risk management professionals create policies and procedures based upon the law, they enact it or they mandate procedures based on what the law requires, which is very little. And often they forget that there's other aspects to be considered, especially when you're working with other people's children. So I think that's the biggest issue that a lot of risk management professionals right now are not considering when it comes to youth protection. So how did you get started in youth protection? I got started because I am a a certified teacher. I've taught almost everything from K through eighth grade. And then I was a campus administrator before working in higher education. And my last position where I worked in this area was where I was a state specialist for 4-H at a university, a land-grant university, where I did programs for youth all throughout the year, all over our state. And the biggest issue I had was the fact that we could not hold individuals accountable for certain things because it was not written in our policies and procedures. It was not even considered. So when we had an incident where we caught two kids of the same sex in bed together, and those children were around 13, 14 years old, I could not believe that we allowed ourselves to get in that position simply because there were adults there who neglected to do their jobs as they were directed. And they felt like it wasn't necessary. And I believed it it was because it wasn't a part of the policies. And every time I tried to talk to someone about the fact that the, the policies were not inclusive of other areas of youth protection, everyone dismissed it. No one listened to it. No one paid attention to it. No one took it seriously. And I was even told, even recently when I contacted someone, that the measures in place are good enough. And for me, when it comes to working with other people's children, being a mother, being an aunt, being an an educator, there's no measures, no procedures good enough 
when it comes to protecting other people's children when they're in your organization's care, custody, and control. So that's why I'm working in the areas that I work in today is because I want to create an awareness of what the law doesn't consider, and I want to help other organizations protect not only minors, but themselves and their organization as well. Now, what's the biggest challenge you're facing in your role right now, and how are you tackling it? The biggest challenge I'm facing is, again, the um, first, the lack of awareness what the law really states. I think most people think that the law is comprehensive and there is a law, so they feel like it's the end-all, be-all. And so that's one hurdle that I have to jump over. But the second hurdle is it's actually creating an awareness that what you're doing may not be enough. And a lot of people are, you would think it would be a lot easier because it's child uh, child abuse and it's neglect. And you would think more people would be interested in protecting children. But oftentimes what I've discovered in this business is unless you're talking about money or how it personally would damage someone's reputation or their own resources, then they kind of tune you out and they kind of say, oh, you know, well, we're doing what we're doing. It's good enough, you know. So that's the biggest hurdle that I'm facing is getting people to rethink youth protection in a way that it hasn't been before in a new and innovative and comprehensive way where you're addressing issues that many may not have even considered before. So that's the biggest hurdles that I'm addressing at this time. You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but what specifically do you hope to see in the future of youth protection risk management? I hope to see in the future of risk management, youth protection, I hope to see more people really working with the government to not only enhance the law that is written or enhance state laws as they are written to consider other aspects of youth protection. But in addition to that, I would like to see data collection grow exponentially. Right now, each entity, if they collect data, they collect data and they kind of house it themselves and they kind of store it and do not share it across the board. And without this data being shared across the board, when you look at child abuse statistics, a lot of times it doesn't look or doesn't appear to be consistent. And that's simply because what the Department of Children and Family Services does under the Administration of Children and Family Services through the Department of Health and Human Services, they collect data based on incidences that happen with parents related to children. Anything that's outside the home or outside the caregivers inside the home, that's a criminal matter, which that is now reported with state and local law enforcement. So you have, and that doesn't even include if incidences are happening within youth serving organizations. So you have all these different organizations across the country that should be collecting data and no one's sharing it with each other. And so you don't have a really good picture of what's really happening with the youth in this country. And there's so much debate and so much talk and so much litigation and discussion over abortion and abortion rights. But no one's really debating and politicking over the children that's already here. 
And the biggest issue is that the data isn't consistent and the data isn't shared. And until we have a system across the board where we can look at data and see the whole picture, then we're always going to be a few steps behind because we really don't know what's taking place. We don't have a clue at this point. So now after providing all of your experiences with regards to youth protection and also providing what you hope to see improve in the future of youth protection risk management, what would you like for the listeners to take away from today's podcast? Get involved as much as you can, especially if you're in senior leadership. Senior leaders are usually the least involved in youth protection decision-making simply because they empower others to make those decisions. However, comma, when things go bad, and they do because I upload them almost every day on my LinkedIn profile of these different stories and these different scenarios of child abuse that are taking place in youth-serving organizations, when those things go bad and it becomes a scandal, the people that are affected the most by the consequences are senior leadership. So it's kind of imbalanced. You know, you're least involved in making this decisions, but you're the first ones everyone's going to turn to when there's a problem. So I hope from this conversation that people that are working with senior leaders or people that are in the C-suite or executive leadership will not only get more involved in the processes and procedures that are taking place within their organization, but they study and they learn the state laws surrounding child abuse and neglect within their states. That way they can best govern their organizations based on what the state has enacted as a policy for that state. Without that, we're just spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. So if you are a senior leader of a youth-serving organization, please start by memorizing the state laws surrounding child abuse and neglect, and then get involved. Have your people report data to you on a regular basis. Make this a part of your reporting process. When you have your monthly meetings, Youth Protection should have its own time to report out to you on how many children are being involved, what's happening in your organization, who's doing what and where, so that you can be sure that your youth are protected at all times. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.